like somebody will like crunch it or squish it and they'll smell it and like with a French accent they'll be like oh this is very tasty and they smell it and it looks good and and it's the kind that you can pull apart and it's got a little bit of like like life to it it fights back just a hair when you eat it that's making me nervous and um you know what I'm talking about artisanal bread so does w would you say this qualifies as artisan bread no no okay yeah all right, so probably not. Aunt Millie, I mean, she probably has really good intentions, but she's no artisan, okay? She's not a bread artisan. She makes a lot of it, but it's not what we would call artisan quality. Uh, now, I like to make bread. Some of you know that about me. I make sourdough. Um, I did it pre-pandemic, which is important for my own pride to tell you that. Um, and in sourdough, there's, there's just four ingredients. You ready for it? Here you go. It's flour, it's yeast, it's salt, it's water. Okay, that's it. Those are the four ingredients in any, you know, sourdough loaf and any sort of artisanal bread. Those are the four ingredients. You can sometimes add in other grains. I throw in oats, just something a little secret I'm letting you in on. But uh, that's it. Those are the ingredients. In this bread, however... I'm going to try. Um, we have enriched flour, thiamine mononitrate, riboflavin, uh, folic acid, water yeast, honey, got that soybean oil, sugar, um, vinegar, monoglycerides, potassium chloride, wheat starch, yellow corn flour, a natto extract, and turmeric added for color, calcium phosphate, ascorbic acid, acid milled. You get the idea. There's, we didn't even finish them all, all right? So when it comes to making artisan bread, we can in our minds understand what this looks like. It is something that is beautiful. It is something that is handcrafted. It is something that has been put together with ingredients you understand and know. But when it comes to sort of mass-producing things, you know, it gets a little sketch. When we're coming into this series, I know that it's going to be a little more sort of philosophical, a little more existential. I get that. I, I, what I really want for all of you to do is sort of dig deep with me. I want you to dig deep as we go into this series because here's what you're going to get out of the series. You're going to get out of the series what you put into it. You're going to get out of it what, what thought you're going to put into it, what prayer you're going to get into it. I would really encourage you to read along with us. This is the book, Artisan Soul. Uh, Erwin McManus wrote it. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Thrift Book has used ones. I love it all. Um, you can get this, read along with us. Uh, we've already placed the church's book order, so you'll need to get it on your own. Uh, but that's, that's the book, and I would encourage you to follow along with us. Here's our theme verse as we get sort of oriented to this whole thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I'd like us to say that together. Let's say that together because it'd be my hope that we could maybe try to memorize this. So if you can read it, and I think you should be able to. Let's, here we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's that's what we're going to be talking about in these next eight weeks. We're trying to reclaim this biblical image of who we are and what we were made to do. We're going to try to, 
figure out how it is that we can craft a life that is a masterpiece in cooperation with God. In order to do this, we're going to need to go back to the beginning. We're going to need to go back to Genesis chapter 1, where we see that God is creating the world. Genesis says that the earth is formless and empty. So there, this is a blank canvas, we might think of it. And on this blank canvas, God creates light and dark. He creates sea and sky. He creates land and vegetation. He creates birds and fish. And then he creates land animals and humanity. Now, if you're here and you're a science person and you're really troubled by how this, the mechanics of all this work in the seven days, six days, you know, seven billion years, I, I, don't, I don't have answers for you. The Bible is not written as a scientific sort of play-by-play -play type of deal. What is being described here, however, is the, the philosophical core truth that God has created the world with order and care. That, that's the message of Genesis 1. God has created the world with order and care, not chance and chaos. How he does it, uh, it doesn't really say. It says he speaks, and boom, there it is. How that takes form, you know, I wasn't there. I'm not old enough. Uh, I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you without a doubt that the message of Genesis 1, before it's anything, is that God has created the world with order and care, and that you're not here by accident that God has created you, handcrafted you, not Aunt Millie, you know, uh, assembly lined you, but handcrafted you for the life that you're living now. Humanity, we're set apart in this loving creation by God as he breathes into humanity. Uh, let's look at that here in Genesis chapter 1. It says, God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind. God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, I'd love for you to just sort of like forget what comes after this because we know the end of the story. But if you're just following along and you just started reading and you're just in Genesis chapter 1 and it says that you've been created in the image of God, let's just use our minds and logically figure out what are the clues that tell us what we're made like. Like, what do we know about God up to this point in time? Well, we know that he is a creator. That's actually about all that we know. He creates with order. He creates with care. But he creates. That's what he does. So if you've been made in the image of God, then you have been made as a creative being. That's what we've been made as. We've all been made as a creative being. We were created to create. Orwin McManus uh, says this. He says, creativity is the natural result of spirituality. And he's right. As people created in the image of creator, we create. Now, I don't need a show of hands, because I know that if I ever say, how many of you think I'm not creative? You know, I know that they'd go up all over the place. People are like, I'm not creative, I'm a CPA, you know, or um, I work in an office, or I drive a truck, and I'm not a creative person. I, I get that we've sort of relegated creativity to being somebody with a, a brush and a pen and, you know, well, it reminds me of my one of my favorite jokes. So what's the difference between an art major and a large pizza. A large pizza can feed a family of four. Anyways, um, complaints are sent to jesse at bowlinggreenchristian.org. Anyways, 
We sort of have this in our mind that this is what a creative person is, is an artist is. They're just sort of somebody that like does stuff with weird things. And like anytime I'm in a building, a public building, and they've got like art installed on the wall and I can't make sense of it, I always say to the kids, I'm like, look, children, that is art. That's it. That's all, that's all I have to say because I don't know what else to say about it. Th that's not how we've been created. Yes, that part of it's that. Part of it is creating beautiful masterpieces, and some of it involves brush and clay and, and music and sound and all the stuff we typically think of as creative. But it goes beyond that. As people, we are creating some things. Let me tell you something we're all creating. We are all creating a place that we live. If you've ever hung up a picture or picked out some bedding or you've picked out, you know, something that's going to sit on, you know, on a shelf or a cupboard in your house, you are creating a space that is going to be called a home. You're creating a place where you work. You, you might be doing the same thing in your office, you know, creating, organizing something there. You might tape a picture to something or you might just be creating a culture by the way that you treat people. However it is, you're creating something there in that place that you work. We are all collectively creating a future together. Your future is not finished. You're creating it right now. Think about that for a second. We're all called to create a future. We're creating families and friends, a social network. If you cook, you're creating a meal. If you clean, you are creating peace. If you repair things, you are creating safety and recreating working order. If you research things, you are creating a plan. If you're my CPA spreadsheet person, you are creating order out of chaos. Okay? We're all creating something. It's time we grab a hold of that. We could go on, but the reality is, is that the masterpiece we're all working on is our lives. It is a work of art. But the problem is this, is that we don't give our life a lot of thought. We don't give the creative work of creating our future a whole lot of consideration for what is it going to go like. So we go on autopilot and we adopt whatever script has been handed to us, whether it's by a parent or a significant other or a friend or maybe it was a teacher, whoever it was, you just sort of, you were told that this is how your life was going to end up and you just decided that you were going to go ahead and do that. And, and I've got this quote here from McManus. I love it. He says, to deny our creative nature is to choose a life where we are less and thus responsible for less. We see ourselves as created beings, so we choose to survive. What McManus is saying is when we abdicate our responsibility or we reject the notion that we are creatives, then what we're effectively saying is, I'm not going to create, I'm not going to give effort, I'm not going to give thought, I'm just going to adopt the status quo and move forward. This one should, should sort of keep us all awake. When we see ourselves as creative beings, he said, we must instead create. The past will be our future until we have the courage to create a new one. I highlight that in your book. It's on page seven. Bring it with you next week. The past is going to be your future until you have the courage to create a new one. I don't need a show of hands, but are you happy with where your life is up to this point? If the answer is no, you're going to have to find some courage to create a new one. And you can. That's the good news. But if you're just going to accept it, be defeated, be sad, go, it's just the way it is, then guess what? It's going to be the way that it is. Our past is going to be our future until we have the courage to create a new one.
That's what the series is about, is creating a new future, creating a new life, creating spaces and, and networks and organizations of people and, and means of work whereby we can create a new and God-honoring, glorifying, life-giving future. So we've got to embrace the creative process. Three steps. This is easy. Here you go. Three steps to the creative process is to dream, to risk, to create. That, that's it. How, how does a new future get started? It starts with an idea. You just think to yourself, man, you know what I'd really like is for that. That's a dream, okay? For those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, that's a dream. You go, man, I'd like for this to be different. That's also a dream. So it starts with that. The second thing is it comes to a place of risk. There is always risk involved in the creative process. There is always risk involved in that process. You could fail. Your, the future you create could be rejected by other people. Um, you, you, know, you could get into it and realize that it's not what you wanted it to be. There is always risk. We dream, we risk, we create. Now, this is what I want to challenge everybody here today to do. And this is what I was getting at when I said you're going to get out of the series which you put into it. What dreams are lying dormant inside of you? Now, I don't mean this in a safe or casual or careful way. I mean this in a bold and courageous way. I don't mean just like you're going to say to yourself like, yeah, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to be more creative. I'm going to pick up a paint-by-numbers book on my way home. Good for you. Like, go for that. But is that all you want is to say, yeah, I, you know, I do this, and I'm also a paint-by-numbers fanatic? I mean, if that's like how you want to define your life, awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm on your team, and I'm, I'm with you. Go. Let's do it. But I, I, I suspect that within most of us, we have something a little bit deeper lying inside, that we just don't want to be a paint-by-numbers person, that there's something more we would like to dig into. So when I say what dreams are inside of you, it's not like what do you want to do with your spare time because you don't have any. It's what do you want to do with your time? What future do you want to create? What is God calling you to do and to become? It might be that you need to recover your passion for writing, and so you're going to open up that dormant file, and you're going to just start typing. It might be that you have put aside that creative expression of painting or pottery or something like this, and you're going to dig that back up, and you're going to say, man, I'm going to use this giftedness to bless some other people. It might be that you dust off that guitar so you can practice and share a gift here with the worship team. Although we've got a lot of guitar players right now. Hopefully you've got like a drum set in the, the basement that you want to dust off because we're shorter on that one. Um, I don't know what it is. It might be that you remember why you went into your, your trade or your vocation. This is going to get home. I, I hope it does. You might remember that you went into your line of work because you wanted to work with excellence, you wanted to create something that matters, and you wanted to help people, something in that zone. But somewhere along the line, what you're doing now isn't what you dreamed you would be doing, and you've just accepted that. Friends, maybe it's time for you to recapture that and say, you know what, I'm going to return to what I got, you know, was passionate about when I got into this. Here's a really scary idea. It might be that you look at your job and you say to yourself, this isn't actually at all what I want to do. Are you willing to have that dream, to take that kind of risk? Let me tell you, I don't think there's ever been a better time to rethink your future than right now. 
to rethink your vocation than right now, to rethink your career than right now. Because guess who's hiring? Everybody. That job you've wanted to start, you may not be able to get there, but you could get onto a different path to get there. How, how big a dream are you willing to dream? What type of risk are you willing to take to follow that and create a new future? What is God calling you to do? Pray about it. Say, God, would you give me a passion? Maybe you're sitting here and you go, man, it's been so long since I've dreamed a dream. Then you could pray about that. You say, God, would you rekindle in me this passion that I would be, be passionate about what is coming in the future? As people made in the image of God, we've got to embrace these values of an artist. I want to I give you a few here. The first is this. We've got to prioritize goodness over greatness. Goodness over greatness. I know this it sounds, you know, backwards because we live in a culture of, you know, that pursues great rather than good. Let, let me share with you how I knew this, this, this was the case. I was in a Cub Scout meeting. This was several, several years ago. Caleb was still in Cub Scouts. He's a little guy. Um, and we're in there, and it's a new group of boys. And the cub master or den leader or whatever he's called, he's like, hey, let's go around and introduce our names, our schools, and what you want to be when you grow up. And these are little boys about the age where everybody wants to be, you know, a fireman, a police officer, an astronaut, or a trash truck driver. I mean, because that really is like a really cool job. Like, I mean, everybody loves that guy. And so this is what I'm expecting. And, and we had like one or two, but like, boy after boy after boy after boy I think it was three three four or five in a row I can still picture some of their faces they said I want to be a YouTube sensation that was it like that was the dream I want to be a YouTube sensation I didn't really know at the time that that was a thing like that was an option um, but apparently it is and we've all figured out since that absolutely it is I mean, they're not alone, right? People aspire to greatness, whether it's greatness in their career or on Instagram, in their peer group, or just being famous for being famous. We want to outperform ourselves. We want to make a name for ourselves. It seems like every time you pick up a magazine or you're in that grocery aisle where you see the magazine, somebody else is being labeled the GOAT. That's the G-O-A-T. For those of you that don't know what that means, it means the greatest of all time. Uh, stop living under the rock that you're in. You should have known what that meant, okay? We're, we're concerned about that, we want to have this, this, this thing where we are pursuing greatness over goodness, but that's not how God's work is described in Genesis chapter 1. You read through Genesis 1, and here's what God creates. He creates light. Who else has created light? Like before him, it didn't exist. Now light has come. Boy, that's a good invention, right? But, but what does he say about it? It says, God saw the light was, what's this word? It was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. This seems like an understatement to me. God saw that the light was amazing. It was spectacular. It was great. It was going to change everything. Photosynthesis could now happen. You could read. All of this happens. But the text just says it's good. It seems like an understatement. It, it seems like an insult, like if you're going to walk into the Sistine Chapel and look up and say, Michelangelo, he did a pretty good job in here. 
he could have done a little better over there. But it's, you know, overall, it's good. To us, this feels like an insult. You leave the performance of, a, of an award-winning movie or musical or a band or something, and people are like, man, that was awesome. And you're like, yeah, it was good. That means it wasn't good. That's what that means. What's the difference? Why is it that God chooses to be defined as good and we want to be defined as great? Great is about execution and achievement. Good is about essence and ethos. This is so true. We're all focused on the execution and the achievement. We want to be famous for being famous, but the essence, the ethos behind it, we're less concerned with that, it seems. I mean, yeah, we could go through God's creation, go light, dark, yeah, that was great. Sea, land, sky, vegetation, birds, fish, you know, land animals, all this, yeah, they're, they're great. But the question really is, are they also good? You might be able to make a masterpiece. You maybe could invent a new process. You could possibly revolutionize your industry or create something truly beautiful and great. But the question will still remain, is it in its core good? This paradox of being good and great, I think, was highlighted with the creation of the atomic bomb. I've shared this before, but it's true. You look back in your history books. The physicists and scientists that were developing, the, they had a very real concern. And here's what it was, that the chain reaction of the nuclear you know, explosion that's about to take was going to be so powerful and chain reactive that it was literally going to ignite the atmosphere, that it was going to chain react with every single oxygen molecule and burn the world up and kill everything living inside of the earth. And yet on the day when they said, hey, hold my beer, I'm going to light this candle. Don't you think we should have known we weren't all going to die before we pursued greatness? Friends, that's the difference between great and good. Greatness says, I'm going to make a name for myself, even if it lasts, you know, five seconds. Good says, I'm going to make something that is in its core, in its essence, good and useful. So if we're going to be artisans that follow after our created God, we must pursue goodness first and at all costs. Creation was good because God was good. Creation resulted in life because God is life. If you want to focus on making something good, start with this inside. Give this creative soul and heart and mind to God and say, God, would you bring your goodness into me? Would you create your goodness in me? And when you do that, you will find that it's a lot easier to create from your authentic self. You know, we've got to focus first on this. We've got to allow God to work in here to recreate this so that what we create isn't just great, but it's also good. Uh, McManus writes, to bring light out of darkness, God needed only to speak, but to bring his image alive in humanity, he needed to breathe his life directly into our lungs. In our most truest, authentic self, where God breathed, God inspired, God directed and when we create from this place of originality and authenticity, we will create something good. We're going to do that best when we use simple and pure ingredients. We've already talked a little bit about bread and Aunt Millie, but, but reality is this, is that in our lives, 
we often take shortcuts. You know, why are there so many ingredients in this kind of bread? It's because that's the kind of bread that can get made in a factory. A factory can't make artisan bread. It requires an artisan, somebody who will allow their hands to get doughy and allow things to go awry and allow flour to explode and, and allow, you know, this understanding, the limited thing, and that that bread is going to go bad in a few days. This, I think we're running on a week and a half, and it's still good. Why? Because there's so much stuff put into it. And it's not just in bread, but it's in our lives, right? We don't, we don't just always deal in, like, truth, in quality, in goodness in our business dealings. We take shortcuts. But, but notice how the shortcut, we have to create a longer term for it, because we can't just say we lied. We, you know, we shaded the truth. We hedged, you know, we hedged the truth. We, we, we failed to disclose some things. There's all sorts of legal jargon, you know, that'll make it okay. These really long words, you know, like ingredients and bread. But at the end of the day, if we want to be true artisans, we're going to create with goodness, with honesty, with quality. You know, I, I think of so many people who have worked so hard to build up a business of quality. And yet we all can think of people who've found success by taking shortcuts through coercion, through, you know, through being cheap and all these different means, you know, where it just, you know, people get found out eventually. That type of thing gets discovered. A true artisan is recognized for their quality and their craft. Finally, we need to embrace the process. None of this is easy. None of it comes quick. None of it is going to be overnight success kind of stuff. It's all going to take a little bit of time. And we've got to embrace that. We've got to realize that God took his time with humanity. Yeah, he creates the world by speaking it into existence. But when it comes to us, what does he do? He gets down. He gets his hands dirty. You imagine him getting on his knees and sort of fashioning out this, this humanoid out of clay. And then he breathes life into it. Could he have spoken us into existence? Absolutely. But he chose to embrace the process and said, I'm going to make you my hand. And I think we need to follow in his likeness, follow in his footsteps and create the same way. Last quote here. The creative act began with God creating the universe in which we live the next creative act begins when we allow God to recreate the universe inside of us. Friends, here's the good news. God does not put us on an assembly line. He's not put you on an assembly line and said, you know, if you just follow these 10 easy steps, you just go through this system, you do this process, you read this book, then all of a sudden you're going to be there. No, he says it's going to take some time. He says that his spirit is going to come and live inside of each of us, and that inside of each of us, he is going to be doing a work of the spirit. Uh, sometimes we call that sanctification, where he crafts us and shapes us and makes us into the person that he's calling us to be. And that person he's calling us to be is that creative person who follows in his image and creates a better future, a better world, a better life. So here's what I want to do in our time that remains. Just I want to hold out a few moments just briefly of quiet because I want you to have a chance to pray and to say, God, what passion are you kindling inside of me? What is the future you're calling me to shape and to craft and to create? Say, God, what dreams have I forgotten along the way that you gave me? Let's take some time right now to just pray those prayers. I'm going to give you a few other things to think about. But God, in this moment, would you meet us here? 
Would you show to us, God, the future that you're calling us to create? God, for brothers and sisters here who have dreams that are dormant, Lord, would you wake, bring them back to their mind? God, would you be at work in our hearts right now? We invite you, Lord, I invite you into my heart that your spirit would come and create something good inside of us. And God, would you give us the courage this week to maybe take one step, one small risk towards creating that future. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, hey, where do we go from here? Well, again, I would encourage you to read through this book with us as we go. But one of the things he talks about in this last section is just real simple kind of thing. It's just, one of it's just kind of keeping a journal of things you're grateful for. And I think the reason that's key is because that reminds us where God has shown up in the past. And I would add to that, I would say, why don't you create a journal, maybe through this eight-week series? It doesn't have to be fancy. You could do it on your phone. You could get paper and a pen if you're old-fashioned like that. And you could just write out, say, God, what are the dreams you're calling me to? And allow that to kind of work in you through this series. If you're in a community group, um, I hope that you would talk about that this week. Uh, your group leader's been asked to really just kind of keep it simple, give you just a few questions. And one of those is going to be, how, you know, how did this Sunday strike you? And I hope that you would say, man, I, it's caused me to think about a dream that I've forgotten. But write all that down, because it's so easy to sometimes forget what God is doing in our lives in the midst of it. This morning, we're going to sing one more song. And if you've got questions about what it means to allow God to create something good in you, I'm going to be sitting over here. I'd love to talk with you about that. If, if a friend brought you to church, they are capable of telling you how to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ask them. But today, let's, let's surrender ourselves. Let's commit to being here for this series, and let's commit to allowing God to do that good work in and through us. Why don't you stand? I'm waking up 
Church, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you have created us to be creative. God, it is my prayer that as we go through this study, as we go through this week, that, Lord, we would not simply accept the script that's been given to us, but that, Lord, we would have the courage to write a new future with you. Give us the strength to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week. Uh...